0: Hi, my name is Agile, and I support Gen X Grown-Up through Patreon, and I believe you should, too. Just go to patreon.com slash Up.
1: Drawn and Paneled is the comic book showcase podcast from Gen X Grown-Up. Every Wednesday, we bring you news, reviews, interviews, insight, and commentary on the comic books we love, from the Golden Age to the Modern Age. Welcome back, Drawn and Panel podcast listener, to this, our back-issue edition of our podcast. With me, as always, today is Jason... Hey everybody! And joining us once again is Joel Rodriguez from Metal Ninja Studios. How you doing, Joel? I'm doing great, George. As always, I'm glad to be back. (laughs) Well, today we are going to grab onto a classic. Batman Year One. And this is what Batman Year One is all about. In 1986, Frank Miller and Dave Mazzuccelli produced this groundbreaking reinterpretation of the original Batman. Who he is, and how he came to be. Sometimes careless and naive, this Dark Knight is far from the flawless vigilante he is today. Along with Lieutenant James Gordon, the Dark Knight must also fight a police force more corrupt than the scum in the streets.
2: Ooh.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, it's on. (laughs) is definitely a unique take on Batman it's not the thing that we're used to Batman always kind of had I I hate and I'm not trying to be sacrilegious here he always had a little bit of a Jesus feel to me in that he has a traumatic event when he's a child and then the next time you really see him and I'm talking about the original Batman is when he's an adult and that's kind of the same thing with Jesus Jesus you know we find him up in the Bible until a certain age and then boom next thing you know he's you know in his mid-20s and there's a whole new storyline going on Um, right not the storyline I don't don't mean to denigrate anybody's religious beliefs i'm just saying that there's a parallel in that there was a gap in history however with this batman year one they kind of try to fill some of that history in a little bit at least in that we don't get introduced to batman when he's this rock solid crime fighting vigilante who's almost equal to superman in his prowess this is the guy who is just trying to figure out what the hell he needs to be doing
2: yeah absolutely he's far from superior i think think this is a
0: good story to try and add a bit of the humanity into some of these classic DC characters, because like you said, they all started out and they were, bam, butt kicking superheroes. And then Marvel comes out with Spider-Man and all of these characters with flaws and backstories. So year one is a really good way for them to go back and incorporate that stuff.
1: Absolutely. And as we alluded to, we know one of the great writers of all time, Frank Miller, is the one who penned this work. So, you know, it's going to be good. Mm-hmm. I want to jump right in. Let's start talking about the creators.
3: Hey there, Drawn and Panel podcast listener. I want to take just a second to tell you about something you didn't know you were missing. I'm John, and along with Mo. Hey, everybody. And George. Hey, how's it going, guys? We are Gen X Grown Up. Gen X Grown Up is a website, YouTube channel, and audio podcast by and for Generation Xers, kids of the late 70s and early 80s who may have grown older but have refused to grow up. Every week on our podcast, we cover media, games, tech, toys, comics, games, and pop culture of yesterday and today through the eyes of guys who grew up loving that stuff. And every other week, we do a backtrack where we pick a single nostalgic topic from our youth and dig in deep. You can find us anywhere you listen to your podcasts or find us right on our website at genxgrownup.com. If you're a Generation Xer or know someone who is, I hope you'll check out Gen X Grown Up.
2: Your dinner let's get into it with the creators there's a lot of great talent on this book first being Frank Miller
1: oh yeah I mean one of the maybe one of the Mount Rushmore guys maybe not I mean I <laughs> I find his stuff to be super awesome everything from sin City all the way down I mean the guy's kind of a legend in my mind what do you guys feel about Frank Miller
0: I'm pretty I, sure it would be really hard to find anyone who disagreed with Frank Miller being a legend in the comic book world
2: yeah, yeah I mean ab- he's pretty much the man at this point right yeah absolutely Absolutely. His Batman work with Year One and Dark Knight Returns is fantastic. He also did some great stuff with Daredevil that... Basically, point. the Ben Affleck movie and the Netflix series for Daredevil is straight from Frank Miller. You know? Really? Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of that influence and just kind of the tone and some of the story beats is kind of just captures that Frank Miller tone from when he wrote Daredevil back in the 80s. Yeah,
1: everything with Frank Miller, you know, it's kind of dark and depressed and morose and everything. But at the same time, you feel like you're rooting for the character. Characters And like, come on, you know, just get this done. And I mean, he has a unique way of drawing you in very quickly to the story. It's almost it's almost magical. He just really grabs a hold of your attention and doesn't let go until the final page. And even after the final page, you're still kind of thinking about some of the stuff he wrote. And he's a master. Absolutely.
0: He's a master when it comes to atmosphere, just building this dark and Mm, gritty tone mm -hmm. within all of his works. Yeah. For sure.
1: Now, Frank Miller was definitely the primary source on this book, but he didn't do it all by himself. There was an artist on this book who, in my mind, captured Frank Miller's words in art form as well as anything I've ever seen done. And that was David Massuchelli. This guy,
2: he knocked this one out of the park. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh And he had some experience with Frank Miller prior to this. He worked on Daredevil with Frank Miller during the real popular Born Again storyline. Okay. So
1: has he done other stuff before this point besides year one in Daredevil? Did he do anything else that you know of?
2: Currently, he teaches cartooning at a school, uh, art school in Manhattan uh, right now. And he's done done a lot of independent graphic novels here and there throughout his career also.
1: Okay. So he's definitely got some prolific work out there. He's now a teacher, which is really cool. I mean, can you imagine being in the class of the man who drew Batman year one and learning from him? I mean, that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, that would no, be absolutely. amazing.
1: Yeah. All right. I mean, it almost makes me want to move to New York and take this class. I mean, I can't draw for crap, but I just sit there and listen to the guy. all I day. was going to say, uh, do absolutely. you think he could turn
0: me into an artist? Cause that'd save me quite a bit of money. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <You> know, <right? laughs>
1: You know, we've talked about that a little bit in the past, too. You know, sometimes people are the writer and the artist on a book, and sometimes it's good. Sometimes it, you know, leaves a little bit to be desired. I think that this guy could turn anybody into a great artist. And if they were already a great writer, it would probably just be awesome. Oh, yeah. Jason, what about the colorist?
2: It's Richmond Lewis. Who's that? Richmond Lewis is actually the wife of artist David Mazzuchelli. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's the name is Richmond. I know. Well, <laughs> really? And that's <laughs> yeah. like, is that her birth name or is that a pen name or that, That's it. Well, she's actually an, a painter by trade and she colored a few books with her husband because he wanted to bring her into his world. So she did mm-hmm. some work with him on comics, but primarily she is a painter.
1: Wow. Imagine that household. If you were a child growing up with those as parents, you know, you have got this prolific comic book artist and this, you know, regular world artist and they work together occasionally. Mm -hmm. Man, talk about the pressure for you to become an artist that that kid has to just become a mechanic or something. There's no way he lives up.
0: Those grade (laughs) school art classes would have been a nightmare. (laughs) Oh, right.
1: Yeah. Can you imagine? What do you mean the teacher didn't put your art up on the wall? Oh, <laughs> do you, yeah. Do, does that teacher know who your parents are?
3: <laughs> wow. That's
1: crazy. All right. So we know we've got Frank Miller. We know we've got David Masicelli. We know we've got his wife, Richard Lewis. That, to me, I... Richmond Lewis. I'm thinking of the comedian, Richard Lewis, because the the naming is so funny to me. (laughs) Yeah, that would be different. Uh, What about their final guy? And this is somebody that, Joel, I know you're kind of big into letterers, Todd Klein. Yeah.
0: Does anybody know who this guy is? I'm not as familiar with Todd Klein as some of the other letterers we've talked about, but I have definitely seen his work around. I'm pretty sure Jason would be able to give us a lot more
2: detail when it comes to Todd. Well, Todd Klein, we we keep coming across Across these prolific letterers. And Todd Klein is no different. He was mostly a freelancer, but actually, even though he was a freelance letterer for the different companies, he actually worked on long runs on a lot of books. And the one I want to just mention was Sandman by Neil Gaiman. He worked, oh, on, he worked okay. on that and actually developed the bubbles and the letters for Dream and some of those other characters, giving them kind of a distinct look when they were speaking. And as we've talked about before, that's a big important
1: thing when it comes to comic books that gets overlooked quite often is making sure that the lettering is distinctive to the characters in a way that A, allows you to know exactly who's talking Mm -hmm. and B, doesn't distract you from the overall book story.
0: Exactly. Yep. Right.
1: I mean, it's definitely an art form in and of itself. It's kind of a hidden art form.
0: Yeah. I think the biggest thing about lettering and what makes it so easy to overlook is if it's done right, you don't even notice it. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm.
1: You said that every time we do one of these episodes, it seems like the letterer is a very prolific person. I wonder if that's not a testament to the fact that there are just very few people of these around who did this that well during that era. I mean, maybe there just weren't a lot of really high-talented, high-quality letterers to go around. So they all ended up having to work on a bunch of different titles and books because... They just, you know, there weren't anybody else to do it. Right. Or nobody else wanted to
0: do it. Yeah, it, it's it's <laughs> a bit of that. Plus the fact that the good skilled letterers can do it extremely fast. Like I, oh, I've sure. talked to letterers who are experienced and have been in the industry um bouncing back and forth like Todd Klein does. And a lot of them, one in particular, comes to mind and he said that he could do a full book in about four hours.
2: Wow.
1: Wow. And you think about people like, oh, all he's doing is writing down the words. No, no, no. Imagine if you had to Handwrite out five pages worth of notes, but every other line you had to change the writing look of your style. Like you had to change the way the letter A looked and the way the letter B looked and so on and so forth all the way through. That's not easy. And to be able to do a whole book in four hours, that's just insane. The big
0: distinction to make is nowadays, pretty much all lettering is done digitally. So there isn't the necessary changing your own handwriting every panel, but it's identifying the fonts, picking. A, picking oh, sure. a font that fits the theme. And then when you have different fonts representing different characters, that's multiple that you have to take. And when it comes to digital, you also have to consider the size of the font and all these different things. It blows my mind. They can do it in such a quick time.
1: Well, and I think it's there's challenges in both worlds, right? So like you said, in today's modern digital world, there's the challenge of looking through thousands upon thousands of fonts, picking the right size, the right effects for the font because some of them might be bold, some of them might be outlined, different things of that nature, italicized, whatnot, different color choices for the fonts and everything. Back in the 70s, 80s in the manual era, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. It's having to physically adjust your brain. I'm writing the bubble for Jim Gordon, so it's got to look like this. I'm writing the bubble for Batman. It's got to look oh, like yeah. that. So being able to do those different font styles, whether it be the physical medium or in the digital medium, they both present challenges. And the fact that these people can do this in such quick turnaround and what's the time, because we know artists generally take, I would think, at least hours or days just to do one paint, yep. mm-hmm. you know? And I mean, they ha- so the letterer gets it after that and has to fill in where they have gaps and spots and things like that. I, I tell you what those people do. It's the unsung hero of the comic book world. And I'm glad we get to talk about them in the creator segment here on Drawn and Panel.
0: Absolutely. I think that's one of the reasons why I love coming on this show with you guys is because you specifically make a point to talk about everyone. And like you said, a lot of people overlook the letterers and I appreciate that you guys don't. Yeah,
1: we're here to please.
3: <laughs> <laughs> At 1340, intergalactic standard time, Monstar, universal public enemy number one, return to the penal planet and free the group of the most dangerous criminals in this or any other galaxy.
1: Is the world of today getting you down? Well, then why not check in on some of the good stuff that happened this week in movies, TV, games, and more 30, 20, and 10 years ago this very week with our show 302010. You may have seen
3: nbc's tv movie a twist of fate a nazi who became a jew and for decades <laughs> he got away with it how could you do it ben cross veronica hamill twist of fate here sunday
1: yeah a nazi who became a jew
2: if we... oh my god it's the reverse stephen miller story <laughs> if we hadn't had, it, had...
1: <laughs> and now i have to see it because like the scene where they show him like a nazi who became a jew that little clip from the youtube <laughs> video is like the Joker's transition.
0: Oh, he had plastic the <gasps> had story plastic. is he had plastic surgery. So
1: what plastic surgery did you have, my <laughs> yeah, friend, to make yourself look be more specific. <laughs> Jewish
0: specific <laughs>
1: Just a just a Nazi trying to do the right thing. Jump into the past with thirty twenty ten every Thursday on lasertimepodcast.com or iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast.
0: We all know that these stories and these creators are brought to life in the pages of comics, but the biggest part about every story is the characters. So with this one, obviously, we're going to talk about Batman, right? No, 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 no,
2: no, 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 Yeah. Yeah. I kind of wondered if Jason was going to go there or not. You have to. It's a standard joke, but you know, you you always have to throw out the Adam West. But this Batman is far from the Batman 66 that most of us. Oh, yeah. There's
1: no Biff Kapal Bang kind of stuff happening in this book. No, absolutely
2: not. No. Uh, Yeah. This was an interesting take on the character. You know, we get really. it's more about bruce wayne than it is about batman uh batman's kind of what we get at the end but it's kind of bruce wayne's journey and a lot of books uh batman books in particular kind of just focus on batman and bruce wayne's sort of an afterthought more or less
1: yeah, Bruce Wayne is generally the alter ego, even mm-hmm. though in reality, Batman's the alter ego. I love the fact that this book did focus on Bruce Wayne and not just Bruce Wayne, but a very insecure Bruce Wayne. This is a young man who has just come back to Gotham mm-hmm. after several years of being abroad, which is we all know now is when he was learning his martial arts fighting style techniques and figuring out ways that he would develop his style. But I love the fact that when he first gets back to Gotham, mm-hmm. he's not sure what he's going to do. He, he makes mention in this book of, well, I've got all these different possibilities of styles and tools that I can use. I just don't know which one to use yet. So he goes out and he starts trying different things. Like the very first time he goes out, rather than go out in a caped cowl and costume, he just walks out in street clothes and puts a little fake scar on his face to kind of hide his identity, so to speak. (laughs) Right. And walks into the worst area of town and thinks he's going to clean up the mean streets. I think that was very naive and childish, but it's Perfect for the story. I've heard
0: that scars work about as well as glasses.
1: (laughs) Oh, really? But it's yeah. different, right? It's not the Batman that you're used to. It's not him jumping into the bat cave, throwing on the cape cowl and uniform and jumping into the Batmobile and driving off into the sunset with all manner of tools and weapons at his disposal. He's walking out and he's like, they don't know who they're dealing with. And then he finds out when the little girl stabs him in the leg.
2: Oh, yeah.
0: It gives a really good context to that crazy, funky looking suit. I mean, who goes out crime fighting their first night and says, I want to dress up like a bat.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He has to. It shows the progression and the development of getting yep. to that point.
2: Yeah, absolutely. As far as I'm concerned, I, this is really. I know it's called Batman Year One, but to me, James Gordon is the main character in this book. Almost. Yeah, he steals the spotlight. Uh, you know, I don't know that I can argue with it. He
1: does, right? He kind of grabs a hold of your attention and doesn't let go throughout the whole thing. And he's got some. He's got some interesting journeys that he goes on in this mm-hmm. story because this thing takes place over several months, maybe even a whole well it's year one so it's a whole year right, <laughs> right. guess I should have picked up on that <laughs>
0: James Gordon definitely has a very dark storyline compared to what we're used to when it comes to the happy James Gordon who just calls Batman in.
1: Yeah, you know, that's a good point. I always think of James Gordon from the 66 Batman yeah. TV mm-hmm. show, right? You know, Commissioner Gordon, and he picks up the phone and the bat signal rings. And the, and he's just this like kind of doofus, happy-go-lucky guy, like you said. But this is more of the Gary Oldman James Gordon, right? This is like a dark, twisted kind of guy. You expect him at any moment just to flip out and start killing people almost. I mean, but he's got that moral center, that moral compass that won't
2: let him do that, even though he wants to. Right. Yeah. He's he's kind of just this kind of downtrodden, weathered guy that's just trying to do the best he can.
1: And he comes from apparently he did some work in another city as a police officer and he got into some trouble and. He kind of maybe he threw some cops to the wolves, so to speak. And so he was so hated that he had to leave. And Gotham gives him this second chance. That wasn't something I remember. I thought James Gordon grew up in GCPD, but apparently he was a transplant, according
2: to this story. He definitely doesn't waste any time getting (laughs) embroiled into the Gotham life. (laughs) No, for sure.
1: And what about Catwoman, Selina Kyle? She's been as much a part of the Batman universe as any other character outside of Bruce Wayne James Gordon. She has a different feel to her in this book. I'm not sure if she's protector or thief or some combination of the two. I don't really know how to quite grasp onto her in this storyline. I feel like that I would enjoy her character a little bit more if there's a Batman year two, because it feels like she's getting developed.
2: Yeah, it's it's there's a lot of development uh, with her in this one. And while there is a Batman year two, I'm not sure how much it follows this one. If you want to see oh, really? if you want to see some development, though, I recommend Batman the Long Halloween. It was from 1997, but it picks up kind of not exactly. Exactly after this, but it has a lot of the same characters. It has a little bit more development with Selena Kyle and her involvement with some of these mob characters. And um, Now,
1: is that a Frank Miller storyline as well? It's not, but, it, oh, but it, it, okay.
2: it, it feels like a sequel to me. Uh, but gotcha. it's got a lot of the same stuff. Yeah.
1: Joel, you've read quite a few comic books. Are you a fan of Selena Kyle? Is she some a character that you've enjoyed yeah, over the years?
0: I really love the aspect of Selena where she kind of has the this love-hate relationship with Batman. They go back and forth every time and it's always interesting watching those two interact. Yes.
1: Well, there was a group of characters that was pretty interesting, though, that I don't I didn't have a lot of background on and that's the GCPD itself. I want to talk about them as a whole, even though it's made up of several different characters. We've got uh, Commissioner Loeb, Mm -hmm. who was this really smarmy, breath mint eating kind of fat, disgusting guy. Yes. Uh, There was Lieutenant Flash, who is, you know, the prototypical corrupt cop who's doing everything wrong and trying to get Gordon to go along with him. Then you've got Harvey Dent, who he's not a GCPD member, but he works closely with the GCPD as the district attorney. Mm -hmm. He feels like he's the righteous Harvey Dent. Yes. And just all throughout the whole story, the whole GCPD cops thing. It's interesting because in this book, we don't have any supervillains. There's no Joker. There's no Riddler. It's just James Gordon, Batman, Selina Kyle and the cops. And that's pretty much
2: it. Right. I mean, there's a couple of mafia bosses thrown in for good measure here and there. Right. But yeah, definitely the villains are the, the corrupt police department. Uh, and there were some interesting characters. I think Commissioner Loeb definitely takes the cake. Uh, he's just um slime ball.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this guy is like, I almost expected to see him in a panel where he would be sitting in like a greasy Italian restaurant with like a 18 year old girl at his side that he's paid to be. Oh, there. yeah. And, you know, wine coming, dribbling down his chin as he's got a napkin tucked underneath it to cover his fat shirt mm-hmm. and everything. He just really came off as greasy. And smarmy and everything. Which was oddly opposite of Flas. Flas came off as very, you know, high school quarterback football guy, right? He was very athletic and big and solidly built and everything and he Looked like he was drawn clean and had clean clothes. I found that even though those two characters win league together, it was interesting to see the oppositeness of those two characters. Yes.
2: Yeah. And Flass was definitely you think he's Jim's buddy at first, but he's far from it. <laughs>
1: Yeah. I mean, like panel first panel one or two, it feels like he's trying to ingratiate himself Mm -hmm. to James Gordon. And so I kind of picked up on the fact I don't think this is going to be a good guy, but they don't really let that happen until two or three pages later. And then you're like, oh, yeah. OK, mm-hmm. well, this guy's on the table. Now we yeah. were
0: going back or uh, earlier we were talking about the dichotomy between James Gordon and Batman and showing why Batman mm-hmm. was needed. And I think that they did a really good job with those two from the GCPD because they're showing that, yeah, you can have the commissioner who's this completely greasy, just bad guy, or you can have the guy that seems completely normal. But guess what? He's corrupt, too. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> It's like damned if you do damned if you don't yeah, kind exactly. of a scenario and
1: no matter which option you choose you want to go with a fat greaseball guy or you want to go with a clean cut quarterback who's still going to sell you down the river either way you're screwed
0: and that's why we have a Batman
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: how will the twins operate without real hearts <laughs> they'll be fine general <laughs> now their code names really fit steel heart and steel will perfect let's hope our silver hawks live up to their promise oh. We'll soon find out, General. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect join me in the quarter bin where even bad comics are a bargain and good ones are a steal the quarter bin podcast is part of the relatively geeky podcast network visit us at relatively geeky podcast.blogspot.com or search relatively geeky or quarter bin podcast in itunes i guarantee it'll be worth every penny ladies and gentlemen it's time to delve deep
1: into the story of batman year one and there's no question that the best place to start is the journey that both batman and james gordon go on because it's a very
2: similar hero's journey wouldn't you say Jason? It, absolutely they both uh they both know that they need to achieve something they don't know how they're going to get there uh gordon definitely is not really sure why he's even coming to gotham uh he's got some doubts but yeah they it's 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 Interesting to watch them follow this this path and they get there different ways.
1: Yeah, I mean, they do. And they both have. I think what's interesting that you just said there, they both have neither one of them are sure of what they need to do. Right. Mm -hmm. They're, They're insecure in their path. And you don't expect that from these two characters, because what we know of them in later works or, well, earlier works that tell later story timelines is that these two characters are solid in their foundations. James Gordon is the upright protector of virtue and justice from the GCPD. Batman is the guy who has to do the things that James Gordon can't to get things done, but he still won't cross the line of killing people. And they have their paths and their journeys already set in this storyline. They're just trying to figure things out. It's like they're walking on very unsteady rocks down a very rapid stream almost. Yeah,
2: I definitely got that feeling. It does seem Seem though that uh, Batman's a little more gung ho because one of my favorite lines in the book, um, when they're you know you're seeing their kind of diaries and they're coming into Gotham but very different ways. Bruce Wayne is flying in uh, as somebody mm-hmm. with his money would do, and he says, "You know, I should have taken the train. I want to face my enemy." So he's a little right. more ho about it. But I like I liked that line.
1: Yeah, I did, too. And I enjoyed how they split the pages at that point. That was when they were doing the half page for Gordon, half page for Bruce Wayne kind of stuff in the first early parts of the book one. Mm-hmm. And I found it very fun that Batman is reflecting on what he needs to do. Gordon is reflecting on what's already happened or what's about to happen in his personal life more than anything. He's not reflecting on, you know here's the goals I need to accomplish in Gotham City as a police officer. No, he's like, my wife's pregnant. I shouldn't have brought a child yeah. in this world. Yeah. You know, there's all the, it's very personal for mm-hmm. him. I think it's those personal points that he talks about that draw me to him more than Batman in this story.
0: Well, I think it's a lot easier to relate to someone who has those types of problems. I mean, it's a very scary world. Do I really want to bring a kid into it? It's a mm-hmm. lot easier to relate to then man, I should have taken the train instead of my private jet.
1: Well, and we, and we think about too, how long does it take them to get to the ultimate form of Batman's distress when his parents were murdered? That's like what, the middle of book two before they even start talking about that. How can you find empathy or relate to the character when you haven't seen that childhood trauma already done? Now, I know we all know that story because it's been told over and over 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 and over again in the Batman mythology, but I thought they should have brought that in a little bit earlier to help humanize him a little bit more. Instead, it's just like you said, Joel, It's he's a super rich guy just
0: wandering around mm-hmm.
1: and wanting to stick his nose in the police's business almost.
0: Now, I wonder if that was done intentionally because of the fact that we already somewhat relate to Batman, but like we've been saying, this is more you know, James Gordon You that's probably story.
1: right. Who, who am I to question Frank Miller? <laughs> I mean, <the> guys.
0: <laughs> Well, the guy knows what he's doing, obviously. Well, we can question him but, all we want. It's whether or not we're right. Well, true. True.
1: yeah, <laughs> I guess it, right is relative in this case. But now I, I think that James Gordon ends up becoming the star because he's more personal. Like mm-hmm. we said, yeah. he, you know, he just has that different journey than Batman does. Now, that being said, I found it unique that the writing styles of the diary quotes is what I'm going to call them between Batman and Gordon. Gordon's was very flat. And, you know, non-cursive, whereas Batman's was a cursive writing that was flowing and elegant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Batman's came off more personal to me than Gordon's did. Gordon's felt very like I just picked Times New Roman as a font and stuck it in the book. But it felt like Batman's scripting during his diary stuff
2: during those dialogue segments came off as taking a little bit more care and time it did and i I thought it was interesting that they chose those fonts uh and it it spoke to me to the characters because jim gordon is a police officer and probably doesn't necessarily have time to write or want to write so he does something you know in just regular font quick whereas bruce wayne Even though he wants to go out on the street and beat people up, he still grew up with an affluent lifestyle. And and that cursive was probably something he learned and just stuck with. And so it it kind of, to me, just kind of also shows their varying backgrounds and lifestyles, too, with the choice of font. Now,
1: a big part of the storyline is all about corruption. Like we mentioned earlier, there's no superheroes and no super, well, there's superheroes, there's Batman, but there's no super villains mm-hmm. in this storyline. So if you're going to have conflict, it's got to come from somewhere. What better place for it to come from
2: than corrupt police officers, <laughs> I guess? Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's not just, I mean, the police officers were corrupt and the clear villains of this story, but just Gotham City itself is just a rat hole of a place. I mean, it's, you know, all the cr- crime and uh, poverty and, and whatnot, it it's just doesn't seem like a really good place. And, and the police don't help that situation at all.
1: Now, I mean, even Bruce Wayne, as he's flying in in the first panels of book one, he says how you'd be forgiven for thinking that this is a technological, idealistic place that you would want to live from just looking at the snow covered rooftops. Right. But when you get down into the nitty gritty of the street, you find out very quickly that it's
2: not what it seems on the surface. And we even talked about when he goes out on his first mission, he tries to help that girl and then she stabs him in the leg. So (laughs) things are not always as they
1: seem, you know, he's like this big, bad, ugly, pimp looking guy is treating her like crap. And then Bruce Wayne's going to stand up to him and save the little girl and everything. And then as soon as he's fighting with him, she turns around and sticks him right in the calf with a pig sticker. I mean, just no question about it. She knows what her role is in this Mm -hmm. world. And, you know, that's the girl that that Selena Kyle is mostly related to and is kind of protective over Holly is name. The GCPD corruption, though, takes the cake. I don't know how you could have in the real world that corrupt of a police force and them survive like federal investigations or, you know, surely a police force that corrupt would be taken down in the real world in minutes, wouldn't you think?
0: You would think, but...
2: (laughs) You know,
0: I I mean, everything works in theory. It's just whether or not, because at the same time, these people know the law. They know the way to to work around it, how Mm -hmm. to hide things, all of that. So that's a good point. So we would think that. But the truth is, we really don't know. And that's what makes corruption so scary. Especially
1: because imagine yourself being one of the regular Gotham residents. You're not Bruce Wayne. You're not James Gordon. You're just an average everyday citizen. You got to feel in that city like you're living in a war zone almost. I mean, how? Could you? I, I don't think I would even stay in that city if I had any opportunity to leave with just the clothes on my back. I believe I'd do it in the heart. Well, it's
0: like Gordon says how can he bring a child mm, into yep, this city? Yeah, and he doesn't just bring one, he brings two. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <I> mean, well, <laughs> if you're going to mess up, you might as well do it right. <laughs> right, <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> go big or go yeah. home right and Gordon's got a lot of flaws in Absolutely. this book that was something that I wasn't used to I wasn't expecting he actually through a significant part of this story cheats on his wife Barbara his pregnant wife what the hell yeah. was that about yeah his pregnant wife I mean I'm like and I mean the way the character was drawn she wasn't even that attractive I don't think I would have done it no I'm <laughs> just kidding But <Well>, I, mean, <laughs> I don't get how the character I know is James Gordon I never saw that
2: coming it, it, it was a surprise, but I think they built up to it where it was believable. Oh and, yeah,
1: for sure. I mean I mean before I read Batman Year right. One, if you'd have told me James Gordon's gonna cheat on his wife, I'd have said, You're full of crap. There's no way. But there it is, and it's laid out very well. I mean Frank Miller writes a completely believable storyline with his infidelity. Yeah, and <laughs> I think
0: the biggest part about that is in Gotham City, no one's clean. I mean, some people try and be cleaner mm-hmm. than others, mm-hmm. but everyone has a dark side, a dark secret. And I think Frank does yeah. a really good job it, in showing that with this.
1: We've talked a little bit about police corruption and the corruption in Gotham in general. I think it's very cool that in this storyline, the police, with a little bit of assistance from the mob, take the place of all the costume villains. Like we said, you don't have a Joker, you don't have a mm-hmm. Riddler, you don't, I mean, you have Harvey Dent, but he's not Two Face no. yet. So I thought that was pretty cool that frank miller said you know i i don't need a bunch of costume villains in order to tell a really good Batman story.
0: I think this story plays really well into the whole mythos that a superhero is what causes the supervillains. So in the very beginning of Batman, obviously there isn't going to be a Joker since the Joker is there because of Batman. And this story does a really good job at showing how he got started, what he did when he first started. It wasn't the Joker or anything like that. Mm -hmm. It was police corruption. Cleaning
1: up the streets and then cleaning up the halls of justice, so right. to
0: speak. Yeah. And and then when the readers aren't buying that anymore, we have a joker. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right at the
2: end. Right. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I remember reading this for the first time years ago. And at first I was like, oh, come on. Can I have a costume villain? But they, as you guys said, they do such a good job of making an exciting story that you really don't don't need them. You know, the, the police are just so bad themselves that it, it works on its own.
1: Yeah. I think that's a testament to Frank Miller's writing. I mean, you know, he developed such a thorough, unique take on the whole Batman mythos that it brought everything home. And he could have told me that Julia Childs lived in Gotham and she was killing people with chickens. And I believe I would have I would have taken him at his <laughs> yeah. word, really. I mean It was a great story. I love Batman Year One. For those of you out there who haven't read this story, please go pick this up on Comixology as soon as you can. Go grab the trade at your local comic Mm -hmm. book store. Whatever you need to do to read the story, it is essential if you're a fan of Batman to read Batman Year One. Oh, yeah, it's a
0: must. Yes, it is. Your silver hawks have done, you proud
3: gentlemen. Let's just hope they impress Monstar and his mob as much as they have you, sir. Professor, you've outdone yourself. When is off for Limbo? Tomorrow morning, General. 0800. Very well, then. Good flying, Silver Hawks.
2: The Via VHS podcast is changing lives. Here's some testimonials. Bill from Tallahassee, Florida says, I was able to quit my job and get a Ferrari, just like Magnum P.I. Sue from San Diego, California says, Wow, it really helped with my crippling depression. Thanks, Via VHS. And Tom from Charlotte, North Carolina says, It cured my genital warts. Wow. Listen to the Via VHS podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. If
1: anything in this episode has piqued your interest, we put links in the show notes you can click on to find out more. Catch up on past shows and be alerted every week when a new one drops by subscribing to us wherever you get your podcasts. We love to hear from our podcast listeners, so email your thoughts, suggestions, questions, ideas, or complaints on this or any other episode to podcast at and that will wrap it up for this our back issue edition of the Drawn and Panel Podcast before we get out of here Joel I want to give you a chance to tell all the people out there in the Drawn and Panel Podcast universe to find all your wonderful work
0: yeah we are live on Kickstarter right now with my comic The Dusk County Chronicles a horror parody mini anthology that takes tales that you know and love and twists them into nightmares you can find more information about that at DuskCountyChronicles.com and if you're interested in following me and my studio you can find us on facebook at dusk county and at metal ninja studios as well as instagram at metal ninja studios cool and
1: thank you again so much for joining us this in your second week here on the drawn and panel podcast it has been a blast to record these episodes with you
0: yeah it's incredibly fun every time i get to come out jason thank
2: you so much for being here as well oh my pleasure as always and we will see you guys next time see you guys later bye
3: This podcast is an affiliate of the GWW Radio Network. Visit Geeks Worldwide at the GWW.com for news, reviews, and opinions on video games, comics, TV, cosplay, and more. Mad Magazine. Advertising mascots. B-movie posters. And cartoons. Think behind the music for the stuff we love.
0: Check out our website at 2 com,
3: and listen wherever you get your podcasts or visit evergreenpodcasts.com.